The scripture reading for this evening comes from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. This is God's word. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again from Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria, and so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the, gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have no food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you do not labor. 
Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Well, good evening. It's good to be back with you. My name is Tom Franklin. I'm the RUF campus minister at Birmingham Southern College. So if you don't know what that means, that just means that I'm your college minister at Birmingham Southern. Uh, And so uh, I wanted to start this evening by saying it's great to be at Red Mountain Church. I have benefited personally a great deal from this church. I've learned a lot about what it means to be a Christian uh, from your founding pastor, Steve Malone, and from Tom Cannon, and from many others through the ministry of this church. And so I just want to say I'm very thankful for Red Mountain. So I'm a campus minister, and uh, there's a lot of things that I love about my job. One of my favorites is taking students on cross-cultural mission trips. And so this past spring break, we took students to Jamaica to work with a deaf community. And and the year before that, we took students to a more local trip to the St. Rock community in New Orleans. And when we were down in New Orleans last year, uh, we took an afternoon off and went to the park. And we were doing what you do at the park on a beautiful day uh, in New Orleans. Uh, We were throwing the Frisbee. And so here we are in this circle with our students throwing a Frisbee. And there's a man with his kids standing right next to our circle as if he might want to join. And I look at the man and I think, that looks a lot like, could, could that be? Nah, nah. So we kept throwing the Frisbee. And uh, a few minutes later, we sort of huddled up. And one of the guys in our group came to us and said, guys, guys, come here, come here. That's Matthew McConaughey. And so we did what you do when you see a celebrity. We all got on our phones and texted everyone that we knew. And um, eventually we went up and said hello. And he was a, a very nice uh, fellow park member. Uh, and, it was, and it changed everything about our trip. Because, of course, now we just wanted to tell everyone that we had met Matthew McConaughey and that we shook his hand, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in this text, uh, fascinating text that you just heard read, uh, there was a woman who had no idea who she was actually with. But when she actually discovered who it was that she was with, everything changed. Uh, and that's what I want to spend a few minutes tonight looking at, is this, this exchange between this woman and Jesus. And uh, I said this last time, but uh, in, this, in the spring semester, I preached through the Gospel of John to Birmingham Southern students. And so every Wednesday night, I would stand up Uh, And one of the only times during the week on campus at Birmingham Southern, I would open up the Bible and preach. And so we we called this series Portraits of Jesus, where every week we would notice a different angle or a different point of view or a different perspective about Jesus as seen through the Gospel of John. And in this particular passage, there were two things that I wanted us to notice. And they are this, the compassion of Jesus and the change in this woman. 
The compassion of Jesus, we'll see it in a few different ways, and the conversion or the change in this woman. So let's, let's look quickly at this text. Um, how do we see the compassion of Jesus in John chapter 4? Well, first we have to notice, and this is actually a very familiar text that many of you have studied and likely know well, but if you just sort of look at the cultural landscape today, it's obvious that we need to continue to go back to this exchange between Jesus and this woman. But we see the compassion simply by the fact that Jesus is where he was. That Jesus was in Samaria. Because if you, if you are familiar with these places in the Bible, you would know that when it says that Jesus was going from Judea to Galilee, that means he was going from the south to Galilee in the north. And to get from Judea to Galilee, you had to go through Samaria. And there's a history lesson behind this, isn't there always? But let's just say for the sake of tonight that God's people hated the Samaritans. They hated these people. They did anything that they could to avoid these people. They built roads from the south to the north around Samaria just so that you wouldn't have to go through. And it's worth noting that Jesus went straight through Samaria. I just finished my 18th year at Birmingham Southern. And when I first got to Birmingham Southern as a student, I'll never forget, I was from Texas, I didn't know my way around. Lots of people said to me, and if, you're, if, if you know where Birmingham Southern is, this will make sense. Don't turn right out of campus. So Birmingham Southern sits very close to the interstate, but... Behind the campus is a very rough part of town. And I was told on numerous occasions, don't turn right out of campus. That's the closest thing I could get to this idea of there are parts in our town where we tell people, don't drive through there. That's what Samaria is like, and Jesus went straight through. And says in the text that Jesus was tired from his journey... And he sits down at a well, and it says it's the sixth hour, which means it's noon. It's the middle of the day. And he's hot, and he's thirsty, and there's a woman at this well. And he goes up to the woman, and he says, can I have a drink? Now, no one one gasped. No one threw their Bibles down and walked out when I said that. But the fact that Jesus said to this woman, will you give me a drink, is worth noting. Jesus overcomes four significant barriers in his day to simply speak to this woman. The first is her race. She was a Samaritan. I already said God's people hated the Samaritans. They thought they were lower class citizens. And Jesus speaks with her. The second is her religion. God's people hated the Samaritans because they hated their religion. They had the wrong ideas about God. And so they hated the Samaritans because of their religion. The third barrier is her gender. She's a woman. Most of you know that in that day, 
Women had no legal status. It was a big deal that Jesus, a man, spoke with this woman. And then fourth, her sin. Jesus overcame the fact that this was clearly a moral outcast to the people. And the reason why we know that is because in that day, women went to the well in the, in the morning and in the evening when, when it was coolest. And they always went in groups. And here's this woman in the heat of the day by herself, which means she is carrying around pretty significant shame by going to this well by herself. And Jesus approaches her and talks to her. All the things that in that day their culture said defined someone, Jesus just walks right through them all and treats her with dignity because she was a human being. And it's worth noting tonight that we see the compassion in Jesus by simply the fact that not only was Jesus in Samaria, but he spoke to this woman and he treated her with value because when he looked at her, he saw the image of God. Because when he looked at her as a human being, he saw an image bearer of God. Now what's interesting is, is that if you are, are listening to the news or if you read social media, you know that a lot of people are saying this very thing of late, this, this idea that human beings are deserving of dignity and respect, right? But, I'm not going to say but, and here is our opportunity as Christians to open up our Bibles and say, you think that? So do I. That's something that you and I agree on. And sadly, there's not a lot lot of that going on. This woman was treated by Jesus with dignity and value because she was a human being. And we have an opportunity to say, we believe the same thing that you're saying. And in fact, I would argue that most people that are saying that are saying it loudly because that's just what a sophisticated Western culture in 2016 believes, that you treat people with dignity and respect. I would say that Christians actually have a better reason, a more fundamental reason, to treat people with dignity and respect is because that is what God's Word says, that whether they believe it or not, every single person that you know and bump into in this world was created by God in his image. And the implications for that are that every single person that you bump into and every single person that you know, therefore, has something good that you can affirm. Every single person that you know and that you will bump into on the street, there is something good in them that you can affirm. Another implication of this is is that you can look at the world around you and you can start with what's good about it before you go to what's wrong about it. You can look at an individual person and you can start with what's good about them rather than what's broken about them. You You can look at a film or a piece of literature And you can start with what's good about it 
rather than what's broken about it. Let's try to apply this to our lives. Parents, I'm a parent of young children. Are we teaching our kids to notice what's good about someone first? Are we training our little ones to notice what's good about the world before what's wrong about the world? For those of you that are on social media, are you able to say what is good about something before you say what's wrong about something? For those of you that are students or, that are, or, or kids that are in school, how does this challenge you about who you talk to while you're at school? How does this challenge you to be creative in how you love people and how you talk to people and who you talk to at school? For those of you that have neighbors, which I assume is all of us, how does this challenge you to think which of the neighbors you speak with and how you speak with them? I love this quote that I recently read by a pastor up in Nashville named Scott Souls. He says this, Because of the way that Jesus came to us in love, we Christians of all people should find creative and consistent ways to love, listen to, and serve all kinds of people, especially in their days of need and loss and sorrow. Translation? We have the resources as followers of Jesus to lead the way, to be the loudest in saying that every single person ought to be treated with dignity and value and respect because they are created in the image of God. And that is what we see Jesus doing in John chapter 4. Let's keep going because there's another way we see his compassion So Jesus asks this woman for a drink, and this woman says, How is it that you are talking to me right now? How is it that you, a Jew, and I, a Samaritan woman, and you ask me for a drink? And Jesus says, If you knew what I was talking about, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. And she goes on to say, Sir, I see that you don't have anything to draw with. Where will you get this living water? And Jesus says, everyone who drinks from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst, and a wellspring will bubble up inside of them that they cannot control. And she says, sir, I think I'll take it. And we don't know if if she's starting to know who she's with at this point, or she just simply doesn't want to have to keep coming back to the well. Nonetheless, we see the compassion in Jesus because this is what he says to her next. Go and call your husband and come back. Now, if you didn't want to get up and leave the first time, I said something shocking. Somebody in here had to have heard that and thought, Jesus, can you back off a little? This woman is at the well in the middle of the day. She's carrying around enough guilt and shame and you're going to just pour it on because look at what Jesus says. He says, go call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. He could have laid off at that point, but instead he says, you're right. 
that you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. Now, back off Jesus. At this point, you could say Jesus is just simply being mean. Or, maybe Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows what he's doing. Because I think that what he's doing in John chapter 4 with this woman is he's creating thirst in her. He's making her feel thirsty. He does the same thing over and over again in John. It's fascinating. In chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him and says, and starts talking about following him. And he says, sure, all you got to do is be born again. And Nicodemus says, that's impossible. And Jesus says, now you're starting to get it. He does it with uh, the rich young ruler. What do I need to do? Go sell everything you have and, and give it away to the poor. That's impossible. Now you're starting to get what Jesus is doing. He's, he's creating need in us by putting his finger on the very thing that might keep us from him. Because Jesus would say, it is a very dangerous place to not need him. God's word says that Jesus came not for the righteous, but for the sick. And it is a very dangerous place for us to be, to not feel sick. And so Jesus presses in on the very thing that might be keeping us from him. Sometimes, sometimes it is the compassion of Jesus to do this. To press in on the thing in our life, and we all have them, that we go to to make life work other than him. All of us, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 2, says it calls them broken cisterns. These, these things in us that we run to and we look to and we say, make like life work for me. And Jesus sometimes brings those to the light and reveals them because they are the very thing that are keeping us from him. Probably the most famous hymn that, you, that anyone knows is Amazing Grace, right? And you may or may not know that the guy who wrote that hymn was following God, but he also was a slave trader. Until one day, Jesus pressed in on him, and he realized that he needed grace, and that he was sick. And then he wrote many other hymns, including... Amazing grace. John Wesley, another hero of our faith, was a pastor, was a preacher. And then Jesus pressed in on him until he knew he needed grace. Until he knew he was sick. And he became a Christian. The compassion of Jesus is simply that he went straight through Samaria where everyone else said, don't go. And he treated this woman with dignity and respect. But it is also the compassion of Jesus that he pressed in on her 
to create this sense of need for grace. But then notice the change that happens in this woman. It says in verse 19, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. You just did that Jedi mind trick on me. You, I know what you're doing here. You must be something special. And then there's this theological, uh, some commentators would call it a tangent on where to worship. But then notice in verse 25 that this woman says Jesus to, to Jesus, she's still kind of figuring out who she's with. I know that one day the Messiah is coming. Translation, I know that one day things will be made right again. And Jesus has led her exactly where he wants her to go. Because what she is talking about is the very thing that every single one of us in here tonight and every single person that you will meet, anyone who writes music, anyone who makes films, everyone has this sense in them that says, one day, someday, things are going to be made right. Not only does he create this sense of personal need in this woman, but now he's tapping into this corporate need that we all share, this longing for something to be done to make the world right, because it is wrong right now. And we feel this. It just bubbles up inside of us. And this woman says, I know one day the Messiah is coming. And then in verse 26... He says, this person that you are looking for, it's me. I'm the Messiah that you seek. I'm the one who will fulfill not only your personal need for a Savior, but I'm the Savior of the whole world. And the blinders come off, and I love this. Notice that in the text it said, she drops her jar and goes to tell people. She drops her jar. Jesus had just said, whoever drinks the water that I give will not be thirsty anymore. And she drops her jar and runs to town. I love it. Mission accomplished, right? What, what did she come for? Water. Water. She just leaves it there because she's got to go tell someone. What else did Jesus say? Whoever drinks this water that I give, a wellspring will bubble up inside of them. They cannot contain. So what does she do? She goes to tell everyone that she can. She becomes an evangelist for Jesus. And here is her message. And don't miss this. Come and see someone who knows everything about me and still loves me. Did you catch that? She became an evangelist and her message, her gospel was this. Come, let me tell you about someone who knows everything about me and still loves me. And it says in the text that she stayed for two days and lots of people became Christians. Because she was such a powerful evangelist with this testimony. Come and see someone who knows everything about me and still loves me.
Is this not our job as Christians? Just simply to get people to the point where they feel the need personally, but also this longing that they already have for things to be made right, and then just to try to get them in front of Jesus and say, come and see someone who has done that for me. Come and see someone who will, who promises to make things right. I imagine that what she said was, I didn't think it was possible, y'all. I didn't think it was possible for someone to really know what all I've done and still love me. Is this not what you want in any relationship? For, for you to be able to just say, this is who I am, this is me, and for that person to say, I know and I love you. It's what we want. And Jesus says, that person that you want... It's me. The reason why we can say things like Christianity is of all of grace from start to finish, you cannot earn it, is because here is the Savior of the world saying, I know everything about you and I love you. Let's pray. Jesus, if only we could believe that that is true for us. If we are honest, many of us are thinking about earthly relationships that we have right now, that where we have revealed some element of who we are, and that person has either walked away or has shunned us, and we long to be in a relationship where we are known and loved, and Jesus, you have given us what we long for. All of us want things to be made right. We think about the last few weeks in our country and in our world, and we want, we long for things to be made new and right again. And Jesus, you have given us what we long for. If only we could believe that it is true, a wellspring of life would flow out of us, I believe. Thank you, Jesus, for your compassion in your word. We pray in your name. Amen.